bring them in, start them with the company as it's growing, get them on the ground floor of something exciting, sell that idea to where they'll join you, maybe for bigger compensation later, even if they had to start off with less because of where your financial situation is. But get people in the right roles in order to deliver that great client experience for yourself. Hello, my friend, and welcome to this two-part Business Monday series of a call to leadership. Well, I have a special treat. I've invited a dear colleague and expert in the leadership space, Mike McCloskey, to join me back on the show as my special co-host. We're going to talk about some real issues in leadership. You've heard me talk about some different aspects of culture before, and I continue to bring it up because it is such an important foundation. We have to look at it from many, many angles because it's essential for a company's success. Strong leaders don't just manage teams. They create an environment where people thrive, where they feel empowered to make meaningful contributions. So we're going to delve into ways that culture can affect communication, can affect collaboration, how leaders can drive effective and lasting change. We're going to talk about some different leadership styles because what we want at the end of the day is a positive, healthy, growth-oriented culture. Well, so if you're a CEO, whether you're a manager, you're an HR professional, or someone just interested in intersection between business, culture, and leadership, I think this episode's for you. Can't wait for you to join us. I'm Dr. Nate Sala, and this is A Call to Leadership. You've been in the assessment world for a long time. Right. And you have an expertise in drives, and your whole company is based around right. a lot of that work. I'm always curious to hear from colleagues in this space if you can intuitively at this stage of your expertise pick Mm -hmm. out someone who you believe is well-suited or perhaps not suited for leadership in an organization, even if they're the founder of an organization. Sure. Does that ever- Just based on their results from assessments? Combination of results from assessments, general observations, some communication. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can- And sometimes it's a little bit more difficult without some kind of basis for it because the leader of one company might be very different from the leader of another company, like a technical IT company. You might want somebody that's got an engineer background that is going to think and process things very, very differently than maybe somebody else might. And so there are traits that you would like to look for in engagement with people, for sure, as they're coming in for an interview how well they meet and greet people at the front desk, if there's a front desk for them, how well they talk to the person over the phone, or if they're dismissive when they're setting up the interview. There's lots of things you can kind of look at because at the end of the day, it's all a people business. And so they need to be good enough in some cases to work with people. And in other cases, they need to be, that's their number one thing. It's all about motivating and influencing a team. So it, it really depends on the organization itself and what their role is going to be. You know, you take a look at, Salespeople, for example. If I'm a hunter, I have to have certain traits of going out and there should be some aggressiveness there. There should be some lots of other things that maybe you might not find if I've got 40 leads coming in every day to my inbox, right? Where I'm more cultivating these leads. I already know they're hot. They called me. I didn't call them. For me, it would be about growing that relationship and closing the deal over the phone. But a hunter is very, very different. So again, it's based on really the client itself and kind of the role they're looking to fill because it's kind of hard to pre-guess a little bit who would be successful in leadership because leadership in one company might be different than another. Sales leadership in one company might be very different than another. Yeah, well said. So that said, then, when we see people in a consulting role, especially when we're talking about culture, Mm -hmm. self-limiting beliefs come up. Mm -hmm. 
and self-limiting beliefs are just that. They are beliefs that limit the possibilities. Right. And they're generally self-imposed. What are some self-limiting beliefs that you've identified? And I know someone listening now is going to be like, yeah, oh, that's me. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Yeah. So let's talk through some of that. So I'll give an example of a self-limiting belief. One self-limiting belief that I've seen in an organization is that, and I kind of mentioned earlier, I don't have the power to affect change any longer because my organization is sort of on its own trajectory. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? Well, I think everybody's got a voice to a certain extent. I think there's a lot, again, ties into core values. Do voices want to be heard? Should they be heard? Obviously, that makes a big difference. The leadership understanding if there's somebody above you that you have to influence if you don't like the trajectory of a company. And I think there's lots of things you need to think about. One is how they deliver a message normally and how they like to receive messages. Because sometimes you get somebody with a, a well thought out, really good idea, and they send an email that's 50 pages long to the CEO and they, they're not going to win there. They, first of all, they have to know their audience. They have to know have some self-awareness about themselves and they've got another audience as well and how they're delivering that. But I believe every single person has this incredible power of influence, but it's a skill set. Yes. Influence is a skill set. It's not a natural, innate thing that people are born with. And I think that people think, well, if I'm not good at it, I'll never be able to learn it. Well, there are lots of things you can do to learn persuasion or negotiation or just presentation skills sometimes. You think of something like Toastmasters, something as simple as that, which is great, great program, helps people communicate way better than maybe they ever would have before. But some of it's going to take a little bit of self-coaching and going out and seeking some training in some things before you just think you're going to change the world. The biggest thing is people just get frustrated. Well, no one's going to listen to me anyway, so I'm just going to sit here and shut up. And they make the culture even worse because now they're sour about it. Jordan Peterson or Dr. Jordan Peterson has been said to talk about the relationship between writing and speaking and influence. Right. So his observation is write as much as you can, of course, read as well yeah. and speak. And those are practices that right. build your repertoire and your ability to effectively communicate. Mm -hmm. And that effective communication, as you said, it's a skill, the right. presentation skill. These are what we call human skills. So the human skills are such an important piece to developing influence. It doesn't happen overnight, like you said. And secondly, you don't have to be what we call an assigned leader to have influence. An assigned leader would be assigned by your title or your position. You can be what we call an emergent leader. And an emergent leader is someone who emerges based on a certain context, a certain situation, a certain setting, and you're able to affect change in a meaningful way because people hear your vision of a better future state that's attractive to them. And even within an organization, and that can even be you as, say, a middle manager mm -hmm. or even a frontline worker right. who's speaking up to a middle manager, a member of the C-suite, whoever. Right. And how we do this, again, this is through effective methods of communication. Some people, absolutely, it's more natural. Mm -hmm. Some people, it's less natural. But even then, it's still a skill that's developed. Right. No doubt. It's definitely a skill that can be learned, which is what most people don't get. Well, somebody else is so good at it. Why can't I be that kind of that natural person you said? We actually worked with the Navy for a little while at a major port just to kind of talk about some culture pieces with them. And it was very, very interesting. The admiral there really didn't have the, we do kind of some assessments, as you mentioned earlier, and kind of create a profile on somebody to kind of help coach 
train and develop them. And the admiral there came up with a profile that was completely opposite of what we had normally seen in an admiral's role. So we spent some time saying, what in the world is going on here? How do you do this? And that's exactly what he said. He goes, it's a learned, skilled trait that I put myself through lots of courses through. I've had different coaches with me, you know, teach me negotiation skills, all those different things. And I know my demeanor in front of one group of people needs to be very different in front of another group of people. He goes, now, that's a lot of change sometimes. And so that's can be a little tiring and wears me out a little bit. But I know without being able to adapt when I need to, that I would have never gotten the promotions that I needed to get through the ranks. And so he was probably the best example I've ever seen of adapting for leadership. And he didn't have to do it all the time, but it was one of those things where he knew how to pull out different bullets, if you will, from his holster when he needed them. Because without that skill, again, it's not natural, but without that skill, it would have been tough for him to lead that many people, hundreds of people under his command. You bring up a good point, and I think it's important to touch on for a little bit. When it comes to drive, since you're talking about it, and the culture and different aspects of building a healthy culture, understanding our employees, our coworkers, our team members' drives, right. you can't underestimate the value of that. <laughs> no. I mean, it's so critical. We have to talk about that. Right. And again, this is what you do. And I understood it from an academic level and from a practitioner level, a baseline level, but it wasn't until you and I met that I really began. I mean, of course, you know, I'd seen the disc and different sure. assessment Myers-Briggs. Certainly the assessment which you work with, the predictive index, mm-hmm. has a unique proposition in terms of assessing different drives. And if you haven't heard the episode where Mike and I went deep into this, I'll post it in the show notes so you can hear more about these. But we have to talk about this because the level of effort that's required for one person to move to one or two standard deviations over from their normal drive, and you'll use the terminology that you use for the assessment. It's important to understand that in a particular role, in a particular culture. It is. Because if you don't know that, you don't know how much someone has to adapt and how much pressure that puts on them. It's unbelievable the amount of change people have to go through sometimes. Like the Admiral, everyone can say, oh, well, I can go from laughing, joking, Mike, fairly easy to really strict, kind of laying the law down a little bit. For some people, that's extremely hard. It's extremely difficult. They can't change that quickly. Or maybe going from a low formality where you like to delegate something out to a very high formality, which is all about rules and structure. And when you're not on a project where you can assign some of those things out and you have to completely change the amount of follow through and follow up you have on yourself, there's a lot of self-accountability changes that have to take place in order for you to be successful in a even a short-term project. And so predictive index is often unfortunately misunderstood. We were fortunate enough to have you go through our two-day master training course for that. And everybody thinks that has gone through it. It's just dominance, extroversion, patience, and formality. And it's way more than that. It's the combination of those. Where does the patients land in relation to the formality? How far apart are they? How close are they? All of those different things. You know, most Folks that are untrained in that would look at some of the data and say, okay, there's four pieces of data here. There's actually about 14 pieces of data we look at at any given time. And that's all in the reports, but it's so important to know those pieces of data because if I'm coaching and training and developing you wrong, it will negatively affect you for the rest of your career. And so the more insight and the more understanding I can get from a person on my team, on my lateral team or people above me, I'll have much more success. All of the members of your team who I've interacted with have had 
consistency in the high level of dedication, energy, care, soft skills, all of those aspects that you exude. So clearly it works. And that's another thing, friend. If you have an organization and the touch point is inconsistent, it creates an inconsistent experience. And inconsistent experience are confusing. That's right. Right? Yes. I.e., we're talking about McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. Right. right? Whether you like McDonald's or whether you like Chick-fil-A, what's relevant is that any Chick-fil-A you go to in the nation, or any McDonald's you go to in the nation, those McDonald's fries should taste exactly the same with exactly the same amount of salt. Any location go. Same thing with Chick-fil-A, right? As soon as the expectation for consistency is broken, then the relationship suffers. Mm -hmm. This happened to us when we went to Florida, of all places, and ate some Giordano's pizza. (laughs) Right. I'm from Chicago. (laughs) Let's just start there. (laughs) And I was like, I told my wife, I was like, this doesn't taste right. Sure. And... It just doesn't taste right. And, you know, she sees that perplexed look on my face. It's got to ship a long way, Nate. It's well. got to ship a long way. And later, I don't know, if, and I hadn't researched this, but just for the story's purposes, I found out about a New York company who had franchises down the East Coast, and they shipped the water to each location from mm-hmm. New That's York. Right. Yeah. And I suspect to create the consistency That's of the right. experience, right? The point is yeah. that once the consistency of every touch point in the relationship is broken, Basically, what we've done is we've said, you know, we value your experience at this location, but we're not going to duplicate it at a different location. So what's going to happen is that the brand reputation, which has an expectation, will fail. Right. And so it's the same thing, whether or not, whether you're doing pizza, whether you're doing people, whatever it is that your product or your service is, you create it by a consistent expectation that's upheld. By adhering to that clarity of vision, I love the way you put, you've got to continue also to monitor the trajectory Mm -hmm. to make sure that that one degree doesn't send you to another continent and nurture the environment in such a way that creates the healthy organization that you want. And you don't have to do it intuitively. You don't have to do it subjectively. You can do it completely objectively. And I wanted to bring this up. I love the job model. That mm-hmm. is created through your predictive index, where you can set whatever the parameters are for that role, right? And then through in, a blind survey, so well, there's no yes, bias, yeah. right? Then the participants are then assessed based on that, not based on very subjective. Hey, you look like you might fit for this. Job. That's right. How often? How did that go? That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a pretty extroverted, pretty outgoing, talkative person. And so if I hired everybody on my team that was exactly like me, a lot of the work wouldn't get done. I mean, quite honestly, I'm hiring people because I want people to do roles that I don't want to do. So why would somebody that's just like me want to do those roles? Right. right? And so it, it makes a lot of sense. And for a lot of the smaller companies we work with as well, I find that there's a ton of inconsistency with the deliverable to the client because the owner, let's say it's a solopreneur, right? You get your own business, but you're the only person there. Not quite a business yet, but you're busy, right? So you've got maybe one or two people on the team, some of these smaller companies, and they try to wear a lot of different hats because you're right in that stage where I really need this role, but I'm not hiring for that role yet. So I'm going to try to put on three or four different hats. Well, you are an A player in one of those hats. And then when you put on a different hat, you are a D or an F player. And that's a problem in that full, consistent experience with your clients. And when you said that, that kind of put a visual in my head of 
You know, it happens a lot with smaller businesses, especially as they grow. And so it's important to surround yourself with people that are going to fill in those gaps for you. Bring them in, start them with the company as it's growing, get them on the ground floor of something exciting. Sell that idea to where they'll join you, maybe for bigger compensation later, even if they had to start off with less because of where your financial situation is. But get people in the right roles in order to deliver that great client experience for yourself because you're going to try to do it all. You always will. It is just never going to be delivered the same way. It didn't work for me and it didn't work for almost every one of our clients we work with that are small companies. Yeah, Yeah. gold. All right. So as we close the million dollar question, here we go. When it comes to mission, vision, values, creating a culture, is this something that companies can do alone? This isn't the plug for sure. for consulting. They cannot. They need humanlytics. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I believe if companies keep an open mind and not go in with preconceived ideas of exactly what they're going to be, but really start off with what do we want to be known for and kind of start off from the bigger vision picture then start developing the core values around that. I think they can. The problem is they don't stay out of that mindset often enough, especially if the CEO or owner of the company goes in with preconceived ideas and they share them early. That's a big, big problem because when somebody that is going to have the final say, so to speak, shares their vision or core value list first, The rest of the group sits around and just goes, well, it's basically already done. What are we here for? And so there's a quiet subliminal shutdown of the room and it causes a lot of issues. And so people will say yes, because it's already done in their mind anyway, to move on. So having a facilitator there challenge and not worry about any repercussions later of what that challenge looks like or how it's delivered goes farther, in my opinion. It can be done, but it's always good to have a facilitator there. Not someone who's going to come in and dictate what your culture should be based on your product or your industry or things like that, but really be that neutral voice to just kind of throw challenges out. I believe that always works better, but in very rare occasions, I have seen it work without. No, I tend to agree with that. And I agree. A facilitator who is worth his or her salt is invaluable in many respects, especially in seeing blind spots are perhaps ingrained in the organization that is not seen by the leadership team and perhaps the employees are don't feel safe enough to share right where a facilitator can get in and and really uncover some Mm -hmm. aspects of the mission vision and values that lead to a healthy culture that perhaps aren't apparent the last question then which is a question that's associated with the million dollar question you lead a mastermind in fact that's why you're in town right i lead a mastermind and what value do you see this holds for individual leaders who perhaps do have blind spots in their business culture making the vision what value does that have for vision for an individual leader contributing or participating in the mastermind of course we probably need to explain what oh, a mastermind is in a mastermind. yeah right. okay being a part right. of one yeah well going back to what it's kind of like that facilitator mindset we were just talking about right you've got people in the room in this mastermind you've got a big group of people 15 people sitting around a table And one person kind of has their moment, right? Their time in the spotlight, if you will. They open up their books, they open up their life, they open up whatever they want to talk about at that time. And they share things from their small world perspective, their four walls that they see every day. And it's interesting because everyone gets a chance to ask clarifying questions. Everyone gets a chance to challenge a little bit and share their own experiences. When you're in a mastermind group, it opens up this new thought of, what could be, 
what's bigger than me out there in the world? What have people gone through before? What experiences do they have that are different than me? A lot of times people will join a mastermind group to say, I want different results. I'm trying to get to this result and I'm having a hard time getting there. But they don't have the experiences or the beliefs or the actions to take them to different results. And so what they learn in a mastermind group or what they gain is a different experience or different perspective, which over time starts to change their belief with what they can do and what the possibilities are out there. And when the belief is changed, that's when the actions start changing and that's where they get the results. The problem is if that's not facilitated well, like a lot of mastermind groups are not, then people just start dictating, do this different. They start dictating from the actions piece instead of creating new experiences for the person and then changing the beliefs and then changing the actions. They just get right into do this, do this, do this, and they leave with a checklist of things, but they don't really last long-term because there's no core there. There's no, I don't understand how this connects to everything. I just did what they told me to do blindly, but I don't really believe in it yet. And so if they don't believe in it, it's very hard to get people to change for long term in the way that maybe the group believes that they should. And there's only two ways to change an experience. They have to have it themselves and have their own stories about how things happened, or I can share or somebody else in the room can share their own personal experience and give them some kind of a vision of what could be living through somebody else. And that's about the only way to do that. And when you start from that bottom of experience versus going right to actions, that's also the biggest problem people have with coaching people. They say, stop doing this and do this. Okay, well, I still don't believe in what we're doing. I still don't understand. Like, There's no experiences to show me this will work. You haven't shared any experiences to show me this is work. You're just dictating to me. It's like with raising kids. I mean, anything. There's got to be some experience behind it. Pay attention to the to the car in front of you when you're driving. Boom, you hit somebody. Okay, now they've got an experience. That action you told them to do is real. The result was they didn't follow you. Now they've got an experience. They're going to believe very, very differently. Their actions are going to be different going forward. And their results are going to be different going forward. Hopefully, knock on wood. <laughs> that's right. Because humanity is, this journey is an experience. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's right. a grand story of life. And so right. we can impart our experiences. We can impart other experiences. All of it is related to going back to the original and as we close, back to vision. That's right. Creating a compelling vision for the future that others share is a hallmark of effective leadership and a hallmark of creating cultures that last. That's right. Mike, it's good, good to stuff. see you, man. You too. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much. I appreciate it. You going to get some barbecue while you're in St. Louis? I think so, yeah. probably. <laughs> yeah, it's on the agenda, I think. Well, my friend, we did it again. I'm so glad you joined me on this episode of A Call to Leadership. If you've been with me on the show, listening in, you'll know this. But if you're new, you may not know that I created a free course for you that you don't need to provide an email address. You don't need to go anywhere, but to stay right here in the podcast. I created the very first six episodes of the podcast because I wanted you to have the kind of value that you need to take advantage of to thrive as a leader. If you haven't done that yet, listen to episodes one through six, and I'll see you on the next episode. I'm Dr. Nate Sala, and this is a call to leadership.